And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Negley. Uh, time of recording, 1110 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on November 3rd, 2019. Joining me today for this podcast, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Bianca Gardner. Hello there. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Cody Derricks. Hiya. I'm just going in alphabetical order here. Dan Baer. Good morning, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. Jammed, packed house today. Lots and lots of people. I guess everybody just happened to be free this Sunday morning slash afternoon. Right, Bianca? It's, it's like an Avengers crossover going on here. <laughs> Seriously. And everything you've got going on specifically with uh, in their uh, own league right now, I, I'm, I'm just like flabbergasted that you uh, are still able to make time in your schedule for us. So I really, really appreciate that a lot. I want you to know that. Oh, thank you. And a um, little bit of a plug, too. For those that have not uh, checked out in their league, uh, by all means, please do. Give it a follow on Twitter. Check out the site. I think that what Bianca and also too our own uh, Nicole Ackman and a few others are doing there is really really Aww, cool. Thank you. Ah, well, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad to to be here today. So, uh, oh, it's exciting. Lots to talk about. Absolutely, we're going to be talking about the uh, Governor's Awards, uh, which were held this week. We're going to also be talking about some uh, new changes uh, within the uh, Academy. Just one little new rule uh, this week, and what the implications might be of that. And we're also going to be talking about uh, the streaming wars. Uh, because now with HBO Max, Apple TV+, Disney+, Plus, all of these things uh, kind of all coming together, we're seeing Hulu, we're seeing Amazon, obviously, uh, Netflix over the last few years. Everybody is now starting to get in on this, and we want to kind of dive a little bit deep now uh, with the uh, upcoming launch of Disney+, Plus, the recent launch of Apple TV+, Plus, and just try to, like understand what this all means and how it's going to just change the, the dynamic of the industry moving forward. But first and foremost, um, I will start us off uh, by asking everyone here. Uh, let's start off with Bianca. Bianca, did you see anything this week that you want to uh, tell us about? So, yes, I finally saw Britney runs a marathon. Yay! Yay! I, I love it so much. It's, it's so, so great. Great. Yeah, and I was just like crying at the end of it. I was just so touched by it. And I thought it was just like such a great feel good movie. And it had a really sort of positive message as well. And yeah, and then I watched Loose yesterday. So, (gasps) oh my gosh, that's such an intense film. I'm still sort of like processing it at the moment. But it's like... It's like a horror film, but it's not a horror film. It's just so I wanted like... to say for the record that Blues is not available on Blu-ray, and that made me severely, severely upset. Oh, my <laughs> God. 
god i can't believe that it's crazy i i need to see it again to process it but um oh wow i mean just just everything about that film just left me sort of like um in in a state of anxiety (laughs) (laughs) the performances in that movie are across the board phenomenal i think um I'm, i'm still very heartbroken that it appears that we're going to let Octavia Spencer literally go by this entire season oh, with barely gosh, any she's mentions. So good. So she's upsetting. so good. Yeah. I know. Like, oh my God, what a performance from her. It, it just, like, she's she's having a really good good time recently. And it's a shame, I, like, like you say, that she'll probably not really be anywhere near it this oscars season, yeah so but yeah that's definitely a film both films i recommend so casey um yeah i saw the lighthouse last night Ooh. which i also recently watched a razorhead for the first time this week it's a, it's a great week <laughs> <laughs> your head must be spinning oh yeah oh yeah and considering we're going to be talking about david lynch in a little bit how fitting how fitting mm-hmm. yeah um no i really enjoyed it i think it's Technically speaking, one of the most well-made films of the year. I think that the acting is great. I think that there's so many standout scenes, particularly I think in that third act. It's just like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) I liked that a lot. And it was a fun experience, me and my boyfriend, having awful sense of humor laughing at probably 75% of it. It's great. (laughs) I just saw it for a second time recently. um, And I am 100% committed to Willem Dafoe getting an Oscar nomination for step one. And if he gets that nomination, step two, campaigning for a win, because holy hell, I I just, there are some great performances this year. There really are, especially in that supporting actor category. But who else, who else literally in that category is going to deny the things that Willem Dafoe does in this movie. Seriously. Yeah, the second we left there, my boyfriend unprovoked, he's like, Willem Dafoe better get some kind of nominations for this. And I was like, I, I agree, yes. <laughs> it's like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, where it's like, th- it's just the things that he's putting himself through physically. I, I just, oh, I, I can't even. Yeah. Oh. I wish. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> Cody, what about you? Okay, so it's been a little bit since I've been on the pod, the main show, so I've seen a lot. Um, I've seen, like, basically all the big things. Um, but uh, most recently, I saw Jojo Rabbit. Um, unfortunately, I was not a fan. I know that's, like, kind of blasphemy on Twitter right now. But, yeah, really did not work on me at all. Um, that's it. I'm not going to go into everything I saw in the past two months. I also saw The Lighthouse and was actually kind of unimpressed, except for the performances. Um, totally agree with all the Willem Dafoe praise. Uh, but yeah, that's been me. All right, cool, cool. Dan Bear? Uh, so I saw two interesting uh, things in the past couple of days. I saw Motherless Brooklyn, which I liked a lot more than I was expecting to based on the reviews. Um, I actually really liked it for the most part, but it like it doesn't really work, but it's I think it's really well made. Um, and I, I enjoyed it and I, I, and now, and now having seen it, I get why they decided to change it to the, that forties, fifties time period. I think because leaving it in the present day just would have been way too obvious and on the nose. I think it, which is strange cause it's pretty obvious and on the nose anyway, but like, I think it would have been even worse if they had left it there. Yeah. And then yesterday I saw Harriet. Oh, 
which I really liked. Oh, good. Again, like I again, like I think the movie like just it works, and I think that it is really ridiculously unfair the amount of expectations that people have heaped on this movie and now punishing it with their reviews for not reviews and word of mouth for not make meeting up their expectations, which is, was really never ever going to live up to and couldn't have. Um, it makes me very upset because there have been so many biopics of white men who have been that have been just as competently made and generic as this that have not gotten the same uh not vitriol or hate but the same like this film has not been afforded the same benefit of the doubt that those films were okay I mean, that's completely fair. I, I totally understand that. I, I actually, you know, like for me personally, um, I don't have a problem necessarily with um, the bullet point structure of the story. Yeah. Um, I have no issue with that. My issue came down to more technical stuff, editing, the score, um, that just like there were some moments in it just that were jarring to me. I do think some of the editing is not very good. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's where like I just kept continuously getting pulled out of the movie. You know, but for me, the performances um, always pulled me back in. Oh, Cynthia Revo is very strong. Cynthia Revo is very strong. Um, I, I have to say, I did. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Nettles is. Who <laughs> <laughs> boy? Um, I think we're looking at a Razzie nominee there. <laughs> um, it's possible. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. It, the thing just works overall, and like, and the it audience, works. It works I for a broad with, audience, I think. Yeah, the audience I was with, they like applauded twice during the movie. Sure, which I cannot remember the last time that happened. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, it definitely seems to be tracking well uh, in terms of audiences showing up for it. Box office wise, um, we'll have Michael comment on that a little bit later. And he got an A plus cinema score. So yeah, yeah. A plus. The, the word yeah. of yeah, A plus. Yeah. That's really, great. Really good. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Josh Parm, what about you? Yeah, well, you also might notice that I haven't been on the main show in a while, and that's because for the past couple weeks I was at the Chicago International Film Festival and saw a lot of movies there. I'm not going to go into everything, but I do want to mention two films that I saw, which I really, really loved. Uh, one is a documentary called The Kingmaker, which is oh, yes. oh, it's about Imelda Marcos. And she is the former first lady of the Philippines and has a very controversial reign over there still to this day. And it's such a fascinating documentary. It's such a really interesting portrait of this complicated figure and it's from the same director of the queen of versailles which was another documentary i really really loved and this one is just as good and i urge everybody to check it out uh when it just becomes to available. be clear uh because uh, maybe i'm wrong on this isn't that a showtime documentary so is it not eligible for documentary feature this year or is it um i mean HBO makes documentaries that gets into the Oscar race, so I don't know why it wouldn't be eligible. So I'm I'm not sure. I I don't. We'll, we'll do some digging on that. We'll get back to people on that one. Yeah, whatever the case, people need to see it because it's an amazing documentary. I absolutely loved it. 
Um, and the other movie that I saw, which I also really loved, is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, Josh, you saw it. Hey. Nice. And this might be my favorite movie of the year so far. I think that it is so incredibly well made. The performances are great. I, I love that this is a movie that is all about women and specifically from that female perspective. And you really get a sense of that from the filmmaking. I just think mm-hmm. from the beginning of the mo- of the movie to the very end of it, which has an incredible final shot. Yeah. It, it's just an amazing experience. And I absolutely love the film. Josh, I got to ask you, um, Obviously, I you know because now it's no longer France's uh, submission for the international uh, feature Oscar this year. What are your thoughts on it getting possibly a lone cinematography nomination? I mean, you know, films like Cold War, Never Look Away, Roma last year in that category. Do you think there's a shot? I mean, it definitely could happen. The Never Look Away nomination last year just makes me kind of it throws all my preconceived notions about that category out the window. Caleb so. Deschanel, yeah, Caleb Deschanel. So it, it could happen. Um, that movie just needs to get in front of people. And because now it doesn't have the support of the international feature campaign, it's going to be a little bit harder. But I think there's a path for it. I think, again, people just need to get in front of it and see it. And, and I'd be a big proponent of that because it's such an amazing movie. Um, I'll go before Michael, since we're just going to go in alphabetical order here. Um, I'll just say that I saw Dolomite is my name finally on Netflix and I loved it. Uh, for more thoughts on that, you can uh, listen to our podcast review. And for an upcoming podcast review next weekend, I saw Dr. Sleep, which I am in the middle on. Uh, there are things that I like, things that I don't like, and just some things I think are incredibly weird um, about it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's... I don't want to get too much into it. I'll save it for that podcast review. Just know that I am stuck somewhere in the middle on it. And I think everyone's mileage on that one will vary. I've seen very positive reactions to it. And I've also seen some negative reactions to it. So I can't seem to make up my own mind about it. But the world needs uh, more Ewan McGregor um, is kind of like my big takeaway at Mm -hmm. the end of the day from it. And uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more later uh, for this week's poll. Michael, what about you? Yeah, so I saw three movies this week. I know that always excites Matt when I say that. But it's usually more than zero or one. And it was actually a very good week. I also caught up with Dolomite is my name. Eddie Murphy is absolutely fantastic. This is one of his very best performances. And I'm very encouraged to see the industry really rally around him because I think he could certainly be nominated for best actor. He's great. Divine Joy Randolph is fantastic. Wesley Snipes has such a comeback here. It's just a really, really solid movie. Funny throughout, very heartwarming, believe it or not. It's a very, very good movie. So watch that on Netflix. I saw Jojo Rabbit on Friday night, which I fell head over heels in love with. Yay. I think it's a film that can win Best Picture, yeah. especially you know with the trends we've seen lately. This is something that I think will rack up the nominations. It's hard to imagine, you know, this movie faltering with the Academy. There's certainly going to be members who don't like it as much as others. But, you know, I described this in our uh, little Next Best Picture group chat the other day that it was a cross between Green Book and Life is Beautiful. And if that sounds great for you, then you're going to love it. If that sounds like two hours of torture, then you're probably not going to like it. And just remember, too, the most key important thing is no matter what you personally think of that kind of a comparison. And, Michael, I'm somewhat in agreement with you that it's not a terrible comparison there to make. At the end of the day, those were both successful movies with the Academy. 
Right. That's what I was getting at. You know, and that's you all that matters. Hate it, but it's what that group loves. And it's just right. more reason that I think this is a movie that I think absolutely can go the distance. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson, I think it's really fantastic here. I saw this after marriage story and I know a lot of people will do it the other way around. But just seeing these two movies, you know, within weeks of each other, she is having a remarkable year. And I'd love to see her double nominated. All right. Now, Michael, um, I just have to send you a Blu-ray copy of Avengers Endgame and you'll get the full Scarlett Johansson experience this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so that was the second one I saw. And then the third movie I saw uh, was my second viewing of Parasite. I actually took family members to see it. Didn't tell them anything about it going in. They loved it, loved it, loved it. So did the crowd that I saw it with at a mainstream theater. This wasn't like a little indie art house. This was a regal, you know, cineplex. Wow. And it was pretty packed Saturday afternoon. Everyone was thoroughly engaged, didn't move a muscle do- during it. You could tell that they were really, really yeah. invested. And that was a sign for me that this is another movie, even though it's an international feature. I think this film with the right campaign can also win Best Picture. Yeah, I have truly not heard a single word against it no. from nope. absolutely anybody in any possible quadrant of viewership. I mean, it's an unquestionable masterpiece. When we talk about general consensus, right, um, I know a lot of people have um, a lot of reasons why Parasite cannot make it. But that general consensus aspect and the fact that we all collectively can agree that it's probably in the top, at least for our own personal balance, maybe top five for most of us, um, that's going to probably translate to a lot of other people as well mm-hmm. and at the end of the day when they're ranking hey, I, I i would definitely watch out but there are a couple of hurdles it needs to get over though in order to get there you know what it has it has the actors behind it and even if none of these wonderful actors are nominated which i hope isn't the case <sighs> but even if none of them are nominated actors will watch this movie and really i think maybe carry it through because it's a movie that's carried by the performances. Well, so you're hoping for a Slumdog Millionaire situation there, then. Exactly. Yeah, sort of like Slumdog Millionaire. And it's a movie that, you know, whether you're living in Malibu or you're living in Brooklyn or you're living in middle America, you know, or even, you know, other countries, international. This is a international academy that we have now. No matter where you're living, this is a movie that will resonate with you. It's not Agreed. just South Korea. It hits home so hard, so deep. And I think people are really going to get that as they watch it. What's also great about it, it's a movie that as you're watching it, you are being held the entire time. And it's not a confusing movie. As long as you're reading what's going on, you are able to be you know, carried along scene to scene to scene. It's gripping. Absolutely. And it's very easy to follow. Yeah, I really think this is going to have a strong case when we get to the nomination phase. And you know what, too? It's going to be a big test for Neon. Uh, Neon kind of came out a little late, I think, with I, Tanya. Yeah, 2017. That was also their first real year doing this thing. Um, it sometimes passed since then. They've gotten Parasite out early. They started buzz with it. Obviously, it can. And just it's continued to maintain and build uh, with the film festivals and now obviously reaching to a wider audience now. The question is, um, will it have the critics groups uh, support the same way Roma did last year? My feeling is yes. Yeah. And then how are they going to use that to their advantage to then uh, keep building the momentum for that campaign? They can't rest on their laurels with just a critical consensus vote. They need to, like you said, Michael, push the ensemble, get the ensemble out there a little bit more and uh, do mm-hmm. some more uh, Q&As and such. And really, really also uh, Bong is the star. Um, get him mm-hmm. everywhere they possibly can. And I, I, 
Yeah, I'm starting to come around to the idea that Parasite could do what Roma could not do last year in terms of a foreign language film going to distance. I'm starting to feel it in my bones. If anyone yeah. is going to do it, it's this one. You know, we had the same conversation almost 20 years ago with Crouching Tiger. But that was also a very different academy. Just in the last four or five years, they've really gone to get these international people in there. Yeah. And also, like, there just doesn't seem to be an alternative. There was an alternative in the Crouching Tiger year. You know, but there's not here. Well, that's and that's something that and Tom, I promise I'm going to get to you after this note. Um, that's something that um, I've kind of like settled on at this point is my own personal belief is that right now there are only five films that could win Best Picture. Um, and we're in a really, really strange point in the season where there is no front runner. Mm-hmm. Last year, Roma was the default frontrunner for many people. There have been years where, like some some movies, like The Artist or Twelve Years a Slave, um, Three Billboards. Uh, you know, you had early frontrunners um, at the top of people's uh, predictions. This year, it's all over the place, and you can't really find a consensus anywhere right now. So, I think that that could greatly, greatly help. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Tom, finish us off here. What did you see this week? Alrighty. Finally caught up with The Laundromat on Netflix. Um, <laughs> Where did you fall on this one? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Soderbergh. Uh, this one, no. Uh, um, I, I, I don't know why this movie actually exists. I mean, because The Big Short did it. I, I'm no fan of The Big Short. I really don't like the movie at all, but it's miles ahead of what is done here. This just seems to be a pale copy of it with the breaking the fourth wall and all of that stuff going on. Um, And narratively, I think it's a bit all over the place because we start with Streep. We're very invested in Streep's story for the first half hour. And then, you know, she disappears until the end. And, uh, you know, the the, the story goes to other people. And um, I can understand why. But it does doesn't doesn't really make for strong storytelling, and so I, I really had a problem with that. So I'm I'm on the, the no side on the laundromat. Okay, I continue to be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm the only person who liked it. <laughs> Anything else, Tom? Yeah, I did. Um, I went back to the art house and saw a couple of personality driven documentaries. Um, one was. Um, Where's my Roy Cohn, Um, which if you don't know Roy Cohn's story, this is going to be a really interesting and eye opening movie for you. Um, For those who don't know about him, he was the right hand man to Joseph McCarthy in the 1950 uh, the 1950s communist witch hunt. And he was he was reviled at the time for being a hatchet man of of uh, ruining people's careers and and the like. And he wound up rehabilitating himself a bit uh, and, and, uh, you know, became sort of a uh, a tabloid staple in the 70s and 80s by being at Studio 54 all the time. And I was there in New York then. And he was all over the papers and his story was told. And then he became a mentor for Donald Trump and his uh, position of Attack, 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 never apologized. We can see what, you know, how that has been applied by his student uh, today, unfortunately. So uh, if you don't know anything about Roy Cohn, by all means, go. It's an eye opener. If you do, there's no reason to really to, to go with this. Uh, it was directed by Matt Tyronauer, uh, who did a much better documentary last year, um, Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. 
Um, I would say watch that instead. The other one I saw was a, a very funny documentary called Raise Hell, The Life and Times of Molly Ivins. And for those folks who don't know what, who Molly Ivins is, and a shout out to our Texas listeners, because you, Texas has given us so many strong, smart, funny, and courageous women like Barbara Jordan and Ann Richards and her daughter Cecile at Planned Parenthood and Molly Ivins, a journalist who was not afraid to uh, call it the way she saw it and um, became sort of inadvertently a expert on George W. Bush and uh, wound up, uh, uh, you know, she coined the description of Bush as shrub and (laughs) It stuck. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, we lost her very early to cancer at age 62. But this film is filled with her. She fortunately did a lot of TV and there's a lot of footage. And God, she's a funny and smart woman. And if you uh, want to be inspired by journalism and sometimes get depressed when you see what we got, go see this. Um, she, you will, it will restore your faith in journalism and in female journalists, particularly. Nice. She was fantastic. She is so missed. And I'm really glad the documentary exists about her. Very, very nice. Cool. Hi, guys. I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, Brew, it's uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny. Is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> And if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey. All right. So uh, I want to dive into the Governor's Awards. I want to talk about uh, what went on over there. And, you know, they kind of said that this is like the unofficial or maybe official, whatever you want to look at it as, a kickoff of award season. Uh, we all know that that's not true. It starts a little bit earlier for us. But for the people in the room, this is kind of like the beginning. And it's nice because there are no nominees. There is no tension or anything like that. There is no political campaigning or anything. This is just a night to kick back, relax. There's no limitations put on uh, the length of speeches or introductions or anything like that. And I don't know if um, all of you got a chance to watch uh, some of the video footage or read up on it, but um, one of the really cool things that uh, I I like about this every year is how they somehow manage to take people who um, have films actively in the award season uh, conversation this year, and they're able to somehow like tie in uh, some of those people like into um, the presentations and such. So you're having uh, Tom Hanks, who's going to be in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, honoring uh, Gina Davis. Or you have Constance Wu, who is in uh, Hustlers, coming up to uh, honor her as well. Christian Bale with Ford v. Ferrari, uh, you know, presents for West Studi. And uh, a lot of other interesting things happen here as well. Um, I want to first start off at the top with uh, Jamie Foxx, who was like kind of like the MC, if you will. Uh, and he- 
<laughs> you know, he knows he's not, he knows how to work a room, man. He, he is fantastic. Yep. You guys saw where he invited Eddie Murphy up to the stage? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, clearly there was no bit planned. It was totally off the cuff. Eddie Murphy was like, I, I don't know, like, wh- what are we doing here? <laughs> but Dolomite got a nice plug. Um uh, which is which I think is very very important right now, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. it's really really helping uh, that people in the industry are really really championing for uh, Eddie Murphy right now. Yeah, it was a it was a nice plug with the people who count. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And can I just say about Jamie Fox? You know the fact that he was up there. I had this revelation maybe two weeks ago about him. You know he's really campaigning for Just Mercy, a movie that seems to be in need of a boost. Did any of you know that Jamie Foxx is over on the Fox Network, believe it or not, hosting a game show every week? No. What? Did you know this thing? Mm. He's doing Did a game show. It sounds like he's doing the same thing at uh, the Oscars. The show is get ready for this. It's called Beat Shazam, which is like an <laughs> updated version of Name That oh. Tune. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, I, just have to, I don't know how I came across this. It was on the TV, and he was doing the same Jamie Foxx shtick that he was doing at the Governor's Awards. I mean, that guy is working it. I don't know what he's doing on the Fox Network, aside from the last <laughs> name, but <laughs> the, this is someone in need of a nomination, it seems like. So, I mean, good for him for doing that. It's, it sounds like he's really working it. Yeah, he shouts out Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, Quentin Tarantino, all these people in the room. He gives a shout out to the Irishman, talks about how, um, you know, there's a lot of new talent uh, in Hollywood, obviously, and that's very exciting as always. But this seems like for him to be a year to be like reflecting back on heroes, um, which I thought was an interesting angle. Um, I think if any Netflix people heard that, they should definitely uh, be working that into their campaign, probably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, David Rubin. President of the Academy came up to the stage, and this was like kind of the first time that I think uh, a lot of us have uh, seen him, you know, for a stretch of time, just actively talk. And I got to say, well-spoken, extremely energetic, um, very respectful, acknowledging everyone in the room. Uh, I I really, really, uh, you know, got a good vibe from watching him, you know? And and most importantly, he's not John Bailey. Yeah. (laughs) I knew it was. I knew that was coming. Yeah, so it's already an improvement. <laughs> and the honorees this year, all right, Gina Davis, uh, who is also um, a former uh, Academy Award winner already. She was being honored with the Gene Herschel uh, Humanitarian Award. Uh, and then we had three people who have never won an Academy Award before. Uh, we had director David Lynch, uh, Wes Studi, who is the first Native American Oscar winner ever. Wow. Um, and also Lena uh, Wormuller, who was the first woman to be nominated for Best Director. She didn't win. Um, we all know Catherine Bigelow was the first winner for, in 2009 for The Hurt Locker. Uh, but Lena got an honorary Oscar tonight. And kind of want to start off with her, actually. Uh, they had Greta Gerwig, Jane Campion mm-hmm. uh, brought out to honor her. It's clear that they wanted to have all of the women so uh, Sophia Coppola and also uh, Catherine Bigelow also be involved. But I guess maybe because of scheduling or something, it, it, it just couldn't come together fully. Yeah, I think yeah. Sophia Coppola was in like a clip package that they had. She wasn't in the room. Yeah. Right. Uh, but Bigelow was the only one who didn't participate at all, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They should have had a cardboard cut out of them both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a nice little touch. Yeah. It's, it's nice to see like, you know, um, the... So new generation with Greta and 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 then 
the the older generation represented there as well it kind of gives sort of a bit of hope to us as well or those were you know aspiring to be filmmakers and, and happen to be women because the, the fact that there's only ever been five female filmmakers nominated in uh in oscar history is quite shocking yeah and i feel like she's not as well talked about as the mm. other nominees unfortunately no. so or even I, of other great directors of that period of time right so right i really hope yeah. this does i mean i i can't i'm not even part of the solution i haven't seen her film unfortunately that got her nominated but seven really beauties is really, really good, good. Yeah. Great. yeah i really hope this starts to bring more recognition to her in general Yep. And her swept away was remade as a Madonna film in 2002. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Classic. Jane Campion, though, with kind of like the mic drop moment of uh, saying like the five versus 350 yeah. men. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's five nominees every year. So I wish, yeah. I wish, I wish. I don't even know if she was in the room, but I wish the camera could have like hard cut to Marielle Heller because come on, people. <laughs> she fucking deserves it. Let's make it happen. Deserves yeah. it. So good, guys. Uh, Greta Gerwig yeah. geeking out about Lena Wertmuller was like my avatar of the evening. Like, <laughs> I loved it so much. As, as kind of the old historian of the group, um, I remember when she got nominated, it was a bit of a surprise, not so much for her gender, but for the film, because the film was mm. a very small Italian movie. And uh, it was a big year in 1976. Um, and then all of a sudden hit people. Oh, my God, she's the first one. And uh, she was kind of a sensation for a few years. And then she got a bit forgotten. And so I'm so glad to see the Academy has given her her due. And she also got a star on the Walk of Fame. This yeah, week. that's great. <laughs> Uh, Sophia Loren also honored her uh, in Italian, which was fantastic. I didn't get to watch that with uh, subtitles, so I don't really know what was said, but I don't care. We don't even know what was said. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, speaking. Yeah. She, she did and mention then, about calling the Oscar Anna. Yes. Dead, which is <laughs> yeah. so cute. I, I love that. I think that's what it should be called now. Let's just have, let's just call it Anna's. <laughs> I'm looking through her filmography because she hasn't made a film since 2004. But the name of her most recent movie, you know, this is a good note to go out on. The title of her film with Sophia Loren and F. Murray Abraham is Too Much Romance, It's Time for Stuffed Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, we had um, Constance Wu, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, honor uh, Gina Davis, as we talked about uh, before. Uh, Constance Wu talked about A League of Their Own. Um, and then Tom Hanks also uh, echoed uh, Gina's work and, you know, mentions Delma and Louise. Uh, he has a funny, he, he had a funny joke about how he was mansplaining, mansplaining. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah. You know, and then he also just highlighted her career achievements and uh, creating an organization of presenting examples of modern women within the industry, um, talking a lot about gender equality and how this has been something that has echoed through her work over the years. And it's something that she's focusing so much on uh, nowadays. And, Listen, I'm not going to say no to Gina Davis getting a second Academy Award. You know? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think people tend to forget that she has an Oscar because when she won for The Accidental Tourist, yeah. nobody was predicting her that year. She was seen as like, you know, lucky to get in with that group. I think uh, Sigourney Weaver was seen as the predicted winner. So when she won, everyone, including her, they were all in shock. Yeah. 
Remember when the tourist got an accidental Golden Globe nomination? (laughs) (laughs) Very good, Matt. That was a give you credit for that one. Thank you. Thank you. uh, (laughs) It's nice to know that she has like an Oscar win and now this honorary one because she's been doing some truly amazing work for the last couple of years. Hey, you know what? That's totally cool because sometimes, you know, like Spike Lee last year, he received an honorary a few years ago, but he got to win the, uh, you know, the bugger outright. And that's awesome (laughs) at the end of the day. So... I, I have no issue. I have no issues with that. Uh, they did the same thing with Angelina Jolie, you know, where she got an honorary um, Academy Award, even though she had won a competitive one years prior when her career first started. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, and when it's the Gene Herschel, like, I I can think of very few people who are as deserving of that as Gina Davis is right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the work that she's done, the humanitarian work, is just it speaks for itself. All right. So then, uh, moving on from that, uh, West Duty. Uh, awesome. Uh, you know, when you think about what the honorary Oscar should represent, um, it, it, it's like I, I think that it's great that last year it went to like Jackie Chan and his contributions towards cinema, and for West Duty to also get like that kind of distinctive honor, where you know, unfortunately, whether it's for chance or whatever it might be, you know, just never got any. Um, Academy, uh, you know, traction for a win on on the competitive side. When you look at the body of work and what it has signified uh, for Native Americans and also just the industry in general, um, this is just such a great selection uh, when you really think about it, you know, in terms of what this award uh, should represent for people. I, I really do love West Duty. He is an incredible actor and just just an incredible character actor. Like he can fit into any kind of role that you give him. And he's so good. I love him in Last of the Mohicans. He should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that movie. He stole the words out of that. He's the beating heart of that movie. Yeah. I'm so glad that he got this kind of a recognition because you're right, Matt. He is not an actor who gets that kind of narrative very often. And it's so great that he finally just has a moment to receive that kind of honor and get all the recognition in that room. And I'm Mm. so, so happy about that. When I saw when I saw the press release of it, it, it something struck me. It said West Duty is being honored for portraying strong Native American characters with poignancy and authenticity. And the word poignancy really hit me because he does, mm-hmm. and that's not something that every actor can do. And you really do feel for the characters he portrays, even if he is slightly villainous. There is a poignancy there, and I'm just so happy the uh, Academy recognized that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christian Bale uh, honored him. Uh, they worked together on Hostiles, talked a lot about um, him just being a professional, uh, his military career, uh, a, ling- a linguist, uh, how he helped out on Avatar to create the Navi-like uh, language. Mm-hmm. Um, used it as a great moment to talk about opportunity in front and behind the camera for Native Americans within the film industry, which got a great applause from everyone. Um, just on a side note, Christian Bale is somebody, I, I always look back at like his uh, awards wins uh, during 2010 for The Fighter and just like how like off the cuff he was. He was so well-spoken here and just so respectful and just like really composed and fantastic. And I, I, I don't know. I just want to highlight that because it, it just didn't seem like the Christian Bale that I like feel like I know. You know? <laughs> uh, but also, too, he wasn't the only one. Uh, Joy Harjo, uh, first Native American uh, post laureate, uh, honored him as well. Um, and of course, being a poet, just away with words and her presentation that was really beautiful. 
and um, I hope I'm going to say this right, Korienka Kilcher uh, from The New World yeah. uh, also presented as well. Uh, who worked with West Duty on the the New World, the Terrence Malick film, and you know just signifying uh, like how his work has inspired like you know what we talked about like a generation of people to also hopefully get opportunity as well, and uh, you know one just hopes that you know we'll continue to see more of that, um, and not just being typecast either, but just being able to just play different types of roles because at the end of the day you're just the right actor for the job, you know. Right. Right. Um, and then. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin, Laura Dern, presented to David Lynch. <laughs> Isabella Rossellini was also there as well to present for David Lynch. And David Lynch gave the most Lynchian Oscar accepted <laughs> speech you would ever expect. <laughs> uh, I was hoping, I think we were all kind of hoping uh, on some level for just, I don't know, like, he's one of those guys where it's like, I just wish he would explain. I just wish he would tell <laughs> us, like, something, you know? And instead he gets up there, says a few words, and when I say a few words, I mean, like, less than ten, gets off. <laughs> he was doing it in the Joe Pesci Merritt Weaver style. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, and it doesn't get any more David Lynchian than that, right? <laughs> I love that he had his weird little repertory players there who like it's yes. you know, everybody everybody we expected would have been there to give David Lynch an Oscar and it's just I, perfect. Yeah. And like I did listen to Isabella Rossellini read the yes. phone book. Like just that voice. Uh ah, ah. her narrate everything. Yes. <laughs> Please. Do you guys want to do a quick uh if anyone knows off the top of their head, like a quick uh you know, suggestion of who they would like to see honored next year. Oh, I have. Yeah, someone. I, I absolutely have someone. Josh, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, this is somebody that I actually think of every single year, and it is an actor named James Hong. And you may think you don't know who this is, but you've definitely seen him and stuff. He's been in Chinatown. He was in Blade Runner. Um, he's in Big Trouble in Little China. He's the voice of um, Poe's father in uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies. He's Worked forever, and he's got like 400 movie credits on IMDb. He's 90 years old, still working, and I think he is one of the great character actors of just all time. And that dude, like sort of like Wes Duty, just is a guy that knows how to fit into any role that you give him. And he's so good. He's so reliable. He's, like I said, 90 years old and still working. The man mm. is already a living legend, and he deserves that kind of recognition. Awesome. Great choice. Michael? Yeah, I was going to say there is a director who has been nominated many, many times over the years. They haven't made a movie in almost a decade, but, you know, they're still with us and they've certainly put in the work. And that is Peter Weir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, li I'd like that. I'd be I'd be down for it. You know, he reminds me of years ago. And, you know, I was almost going to say this guy's name until I realized that they already gave him the honorary Oscar. Norman Jewison was someone who, you know, put in the time, had filmed the one best picture. But uh, the Academy finally, you know, corrected that wrong years ago. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have seen Gene Wilder get it before he passed away. But uh, I think when you look at people who have just put in the time, done the work, Peter Weir is someone who really deserves to be recognized. Anyone else? Liv Ullman. Yes. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Every year I say this. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> She's an actress who deserves an Oscar. She is one of the all-time greats. Period. <laughs> yeah, I can't top that. That's a good one. Yep. 
I say this often, and it's more of a modern uh, suggestion, but um, I still, 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 still maintain that Andy Serkis deserves something for pioneering oh, yeah. motion capture acting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I think that will happen one day. I think they're just waiting for a few more films to come out, but I do think that's going to be in his future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know who else? One more person this time, uh, a performer. Uh, she's been nominated twice before. Still is very active in entertainment, not so much on the film side, but I think that's even more reason to give an honorary Oscar to her. And that's Beth Midler. Yeah, good choice. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A two time nominee, just won the Tony. You know, I think she's actually the Oscar away from EGOT. Yeah. I want yeah, to say, she so. is. Yes. Yeah, she's a treasure. Absolutely. I say, you know what? What the hell? I say next year she's going to have another big year. Why not just give Rita Moreno an honorary to go with her actual Oscar as well? Yeah, why not? Yeah, that woman deserves the world. (laughs) Everybody would like to see that. Do you guys think in the same way that um, Steve Martin received an honorary Oscar? Do you guys uh, foresee that sort of a thing happening for either, say, Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler? I was going to say Jim Carrey, actually. I know we're a few years out from him, like, being anywhere near the right age for this award. But, I mean, (laughs) it's a perfect place to be like, well, we didn't get you in your prime, and maybe we should have done that. So, like, let's give you this now. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The man should have had at least three or four Oscar nominations by now. And I'll tell you this much, too. Another person who I could easily see it uh, happening for, um, not – now, maybe like in 15 years time, if he doesn't uh, get, you know, terribly hurt doing a very, very dangerous stunt, I, I could see Tom Cruise one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Although I do think yeah. he still has a performance in him. Yeah. You know, mm. every time I say that, he then just makes another movie that's not up their wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm throwing one more name because I'm looking at the list of people who are one Oscar away from becoming EGOTs. You know, mm-hmm. Beth Midler could wait a few years. You know who needs it more? Who's that? Lily Tomlin. <gasps> oh, God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I yes. forgot that she doesn't have one. You're right. Yes. I'm yes. I'm a stickler, though, and I don't count honorary as EGOT. Is that bad? Yeah, no. Am I bad? It doesn't really. No. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like earned from a lifetime of work, so it's still earned, obviously, but it's just like slightly different. It's yeah, still, you know, I don't have one, you so I, you know, I can't one, talk. You were given one. No. She should have won it for Nashville. She should have won it for Nashville, and then she and Steve Martin should have gotten in for all of me. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, that's you know, the two of them could get their right. honorary Oscars and talk about how it's not the real thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I have one more suggestion. That's John Goodman. As far as like, he's also on the list of yeah. like, people that don't have Oscar nominations but should. Like, yeah, mm. he has had so many great films. That he's been an integral part of, which is just astonishing. I think the thing that upsets me the most about John Goodman is that it's not even so much a win. There's just no nomination. Exactly. But that's similar to like Donald Sutherland a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Who got his honorary? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson will definitely get one. Because that man, there is not a major movie of the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years (laughs) that he hasn't been a part of in some way. Yeah, I I think he's uh, taking it over from Michael Caine as being the hardest working man in show business. Yeah. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. 
Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy works. that. That's just how it works. Speaking of Samuel L. Jackson, uh... Did you guys know that there is a movie coming out at AFI Fest starring him and Anthony Mackie called The Banker? Um, and it is a movie that is – hold on now. You guys ready for this? It is an Apple TV Plus film. Oy. <laughs> and Apple TV Plus just launched recently. This is their first film. There are FYC ads out for this movie. This movie will be contending from Apple TV Plus as their first Oscar contender. And you know what? I think really they deserve good. any awards coming their way for um, releasing a film that doesn't exist. So really <laughs> bravo to Apple TV for that. <laughs> so The Banger is a true story of two African-American entrepreneurs, uh, both played by Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson, who during the 1950s tried to circumvent the racial limitations of the era and take on the establishment by recruiting a working class white man, Matt Steiner, played by Nicholas Holt, and training him to pose as the head of their business empire while they posed as a janitor and a chauffeur. Neil Long plays Bernard's uh, wife. Uh, Garrett and Morris become two of the wealthiest and most successful real estate owners in the country with Steiner as their front man. But their success brings about unforeseen risk of exposure that threatens everything. Now, now let's clarify here that this is not like Netflix where they distribute the movie. This is like what Amazon did with Manchester by the Sea a couple years ago where it's being distributed, in their case, through a roadside this movie is being distributed in theaters by Bleecker Street. Mm, with a limited release for December 6th and streaming on Apple TV Plus on January 31st. Right. So, so they might as well save Apple their money TV with Plus. those FYC ads. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Dan. <laughs> Yikes. I'm just saying. <laughs> this brings about, though, uh, a conversation here, which I think is extremely important to have right now. Um, because Apple TV Plus just launched uh, two days ago, um, we have Disney uh, Plus coming in a few days' time, uh, basically less than two weeks at this point. We're in the middle of streaming wars, uh, where HBO Max now with uh, Warner Brothers AT&T uh, is going to be also uh, gearing up pretty soon to take on Netflix, Disney. Everybody's like fighting for real estate. And when I say real estate, it really is uh, the consumer's time, money, and attention. Don't forget about Peacock. Oh, gosh. How can I forget <laughs> about Peacock? It's <laughs> <laughs> such a bad name, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like, why? Who thought of that name? But this, I want to see your Peacock. <laughs> oh, I will say though, for the record, as this becomes normalized and this becomes like part of like everyday culture now, I think that this actually helps Netflix greatly in regards to their perception within um, the industry and within the awards race. You know, I'm sure you guys all read the stories about um, the making of The Irishman and how all the major studios turned it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and Netflix came up to bat and such. Well, Apple, Disney, they also have a shit ton of money, like Netflix, more actually, and they're going to be able to hopefully also uh, finance some projects that the other major studios will not, uh, you know, back. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think I think Disney Plus is the one that freaks me out the most. And I say that because when I look at um, their content in terms of their film content, obviously a lot of it is Disney properties. But then they're also taking existing Fox properties like Home Alone and Cheaper by the Dozen and they're planning reboots of these. Well, and also they're hiding the originals. They're putting them into, you know, they're using the same Disney vault practice, which is just pisses me off so much. I I went through Amazon the other day for like Blu-rays of uh, (laughs) certain movies that I'm like, this is a classic and I must own this of it this way. If I can never get it again, at least I have it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, There's definitely a big fear of that uh, for sure happening. But what do you guys think about just in regards to... Do you guys feel like it's becoming oversaturated? Do you guys think financially it's even feasible to have all these? Like, what do you guys think? Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely I mean, I know for myself, when I see all this kind of, like, too much choice, I kind of shut down and just yeah. wait to hear, like, yeah. what I need to actually be watching. Yeah. too much. Yeah. Yeah. It I feel like a lot of people might is. just kind of react to the oversaturation in a similar way. I mean, like, we all already have Netflix, so, like, that's not going anywhere. But, like, when I look at, like, Apple TV Plus and, you know, fucking Peacock, I'm like, oh, no, that's too much. <laughs> well, Cody, I think you bring up a very interesting point there because everyone is talking about how streaming is going to bring about the death of going to the cinema when there might be a – inverse effect actually that is surprising to most people out there where too much content and no idea what to settle on what if they just go i don't know what to watch at home today oh but this is playing over there let's go let's go see it instead well it all depends on what you want to see because the thing about apple tv plus is that whole brand is going to be original apple content it's not going to be like netflix where you have the netflix original content and then movies that came out you know 30, 40 years ago, whatever, you know. Or, or the ones they pick up during the festivals, for example. Right, it's a mix of things. Yep. Apple TV Plus is just going to be Apple's own content, which is why they're basically giving it away for free now because there are only four shows at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to build over the next couple of years. Netflix, you know, there was no Netflix original series or movies seven years ago. So look how far we've come from that. So something like Apple TV Plus, you have to decide if you want to watch those shows and the movies. It's going to take a few years to become something. Peacock, on the other hand, they're not going to have movies. Peacock is going to be where you go to watch the NBC content. So if you liked watching reruns of The Office on Netflix, just as I did, Netflix is going to lose The Office end of the year. So if you want to watch that, you got Peacock. If you couldn't care less about The Office and television, you're not going to get Peacock. You know, you have to weigh what you like and what you know you're going to watch or not watch. And what is this going to mean then? Um, Because as we were saying before... Uh, It's going to take a little while for Disney Plus and for Apple TV Plus to kind of like forge their identities, so to speak, to filmmakers out there as why is our streaming platform a better option than, say, Netflix, which has been around for a little bit, has been a great alternative for some filmmakers to get their work discovered a little bit better. Look at Dee Reese, for example, um, as a a great example, actually, of someone whose uh, work has been discovered by millions of people because of Netflix. What do you guys think that um, having all these different uh, streaming platforms is going to mean for the major movie studios then? You're going to have to put up better content. Yeah. 
They're going to have to step up their game. I I think that in terms when you say that, Michael, when you say step up their game, do you mean in terms of the extravagance or do you mean in terms of uh, riskier storytelling or? In in both regard, you know, you see, obviously, something like Avengers Endgame brings in the people. Fox has Avatar. I guess Disney now has Avatar. That's going to, you know, be a big thing in two years whenever it actually does come out. So you're going to have the spectacles that people go to see. But then if they want to get that demographic of, you know, we call we say the senior set sometimes, but it's really all of us on this podcast. We love to see these, you know, character driven movies, you know, that are interesting about people and things that we like and care about. If the theaters and the studios want to get those people back instead of just having them watch Marriage Story on Netflix, they're going to have to, you know, start going back into the past and putting out those Kramer versus Kramers or ordinary people's. But they're not going to do that because the return on investment they've decided, they've already decided for years, is not worth it, unfortunately. Tom, uh, you, myself, I don't know who ever, uh, if any others, but I know Tom, I know you have had a chance to watch some of the Apple TV Plus uh, originals um, that have uh, premiered on the uh, platform. Um, without getting into too detail, uh, what's your general uh, thoughts right now on the content so far at launch? My general feeling is I'm disappointed, frankly. Uh, the, the, certainly their uh, flagship is the morning show. Mm-hmm. And I won't get too much into it. I'm writing a piece for the site uh, for this week. Um, but when you have talent like Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell and Reese Witherspoon, um, you kind of expect a little bit more. It's not bad. It's certainly pleasant. But it's um, not what it could be. And I agree with that because, like, I, I like it, actually. Like, I really enjoy watching it. But there are times with the writing where I just feel like it's so on the nose um, and doesn't yeah. have anything to really separate itself, like, in the way that something like The Newsroom or uh, Succession, um, those are two shows that I feel like have, like, their own brand and identity, if you will, in terms of the way that the screenplays are written, the language that is used and how it is said by the actors and stuff. Morning Show just feels a little bit more generic and cookie cutter to me. Yeah. Those shows that you mentioned are sharp. They are not afraid to take a stand. And this one seems to be all things to all people to me, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, given the talent involved, a little disappointing. I still recommend people check it out, though, because the talent involved is definitely appealing. Yeah. And uh, the only other one I want to talk about right now is uh, C, the Jason Momoa, Alfred Woodard one. God knows, good actors. Um, It seems that's a premise in which the uh, because of a virus, the entire world has gone blind, except for a few folks. And I think that's the kind of thing that probably would work better as a novel than a TV (laughs) show, because the idea of seeing we really this, you know, on the show, seeing uh, blind people kind of not stumbling around but making do um, is is kind of depressing, <laughs> frankly. It, and, it's, uh, it, I, I've heard this comparison before, and I'll just throw it out there. It's like The Revenant TV show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, what a ringing endorsement for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Josh is signing get, up right now. <laughs> and I'm sorry. If you get Jason Momoa in a series, I want something other than that, please. So, um, so uh, today is going to be devoted to the uh, for for mankind and uh, Dickinson. So um, I like Dickinson. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but we shall see. Hopefully, hopefully it'll get a little bit better. And um, 
in any case, it's, you know, welcome to the fold, and now you're going to get your criticism, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Apple uh, so Apple TV Plus also uh, has acquired um, some uh, films as well, like we were talking about before, The Banker, uh, Hala, uh, which is a film that uh, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, actually. Um, so that's been taking a little while to uh, get seen by some folks, but that will be um, streaming on Apple TV Plus as well. And then, of course, with Disney Plus, you know, Lady and the Tramp and Mandalorian, and, you know, the only thing I'm a little worried about with Disney Plus, uh, especially is just, you know, as soon as I watched Apple TV Plus, I watched like the morning show and I was like, OK, this is like TVMA, like this is like mature content. Yeah. And I just feel like with Disney Plus, I'm not going to get my adult content that I want necessarily. No. And I feel like it's going to be way too family curated. And I just for me personally, I, I just I feel like that's a limitation that is then put on storytelling, which um, I, I can't help but feel like from a criticism standpoint, I'm always going to have that in the back of my mind. Like this could have been better if they lifted this limitation. You know what I mean? I mean, Disney is just all franchise all the time now. Yeah. And that's all their platform is. And I'm not interested. Yeah. Like as much as I love my Disney movies and I, you know, lifelong star Wars Stan, I, I'm not, no, Mm -hmm. it's not worth it. You don't even want that library at your fingertips. I have my DVDs. I know, but right. the, that's not my fingertips. Instead of getting up and getting disc and putting it in the player. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Michael, you sound so lazy right now. <laughs> Please. Getting up to get a DVD is my going to the gym, okay? <laughs> I have to, yeah, I was just going to say about like um, owning like DVDs and, you know, with the, especially Disney ones. I mean, it, it's almost, it's like collecting them, and I, I think the magic is lost when you have the you know them all there to just stream. You, you know, there I just think I'm just thinking of my own video cassette tapes, but you know what I mean. It was like uh, something kind of nice about having the physical copy of and it, it. And taken yeah. away from you, especially yeah. because Disney was the one that for like. 30 years was like, oh my god, you have to get Sleeping Beauty right now on DVD <laughs> yeah. or else you're not going to be able to see it ever again. So now it feels like gaslighting for them to be like, stream whatever you want! This is the way to watch movies. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, uh, with Disney, it's all about protecting the brand. Yeah. yeah. And they're very concerned, I think, about that. And uh, one final note, just in regards to, like I was saying before, to help tie this into uh, Oscar conversation, I do genuinely believe that the rise of all of these other streaming platforms in the long run for a studio like Netflix, which has been trying to desperately break into the Oscars uh, with a best picture win. I think it helps uh, it get a little bit closer. Yeah. Uh, although another thing that I can also think of, if you consider Netflix's history with the Emmys, it probably means that uh, an Apple TV movie will win best picture before they do. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. I can't think of any other bigger slap in the face. (laughs) Peacock's best picture winner. (laughs) Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. 
You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Okay. Uh, so now what I want to do is this. I want to just go over the polls, answer fan questions, and then we'll bounce for today. So uh, for the polls, last week, uh, in getting us ready for The Irishman, we asked everyone which over three-hour-long film is your favorite. So it had to be longer than three hours. A lot of choices here. Some of the best movies ever made are over three hours long. Uh, I have a top 10 listed here, uh, but I just want to hear from any of you. Um, Michael, start off with you. What movie over three hours long is like, you know, a favorite of yours? I still maintain The Fiddler on the Roof is 181 minutes. <laughs> it is. It is according to Amazon. Depends where you look. Some people on the internet will shave off two minutes for whatever reason. But oh, yes, if we're counting that, that is my choice. Okay. All right. Dan Bear? Ten Commandments. Okay. Casey? Lawrence of Arabia. Hmm. Bianca. Um, I have to say it's a tie between Once Upon a Time in America and Godfather Part Two. They're both so good. Josh Parham. Uh, my vote was for Giants. Absolutely love that film. Tom. I'm with Bianca on those two, but I'm also I'm a big fan of Lawrence of Arabia plus Intermission. Cody. Yeah. I really love Titanic. I can't help yeah. it. <laughs> I watch it once a year. I, it completely Titanic. works for me. Every single minute of it, not even ironically. I love that movie. Me too. Okay. Here we go. Top 10. Number 10. Voted on by the MVP film community. Films over three hours long is the 1939 Best Picture winner, Gone with the Wind. Hmm. Number 9 is Barry Lyndon. Wow. Fuck yeah. Wow. Fuck yeah, MVP the film taste. community. <laughs> I love it. The wind, wow. Number eight, Seven Samurai. Oh, good choice. The taste. <laughs> Number seven is Lawrence of Arabia. Yay. Number six, Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Mm. Number five is The Godfather Part Two. Oh. Famously, part one is not over three hours long. Uh, number four. I was surprised that it got placed as high. But here it is. Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love it. It's three hours of depression and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love that movie until those damn frogs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, give me those frogs. <laughs> Can't do it. I have sickness all around me. Hell yeah. <laughs> it is what it is, Dan. It is what it is. Number three. James Cameron's Titanic. Yes. I'll take number three. And number one and number two. Number two is Avengers Endgame. Oh, good. Oh, okay. Great. All right. I like that movie, uh, and I'm like, this poll is null and void. And no. number one is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the okay. King. Okay, okay, you can have that. You can yeah. have that. That's fine. That's Matt, great. how many times did you vote? <laughs> I only, I, everyone can only vote once. Everyone can only vote once. Does that include you, the owner of the website? <laughs> I do cast a vote, yes. <laughs> Same way that presidential candidates get to cast a vote on election day? Yeah, I, I cast a vote. <laughs> Or Oscar voters get to vote for themselves. Yeah, come on. Uh, Well, for this week's poll, uh, for Dr. Sleep, 
we are asking everyone, which is their favorite Ewan McGregor performance? And this is a guy who has never received an Oscar nomination. And I think that when he is afforded a good script, he is a very exciting actor. Um, I just feel very strongly that he has just had uh, some, he just hasn't had the right opportunities, I think, especially like in recent years. Um, and the ones that were really good were very uh, little films, uh, film, or, or he was sidelined for someone else, like Beginners, for example, where Christopher Plummer uh, got a lot of the uh, buzz and conversation around that. Or what was that one? Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. He's great yeah. in that, you know, but no one's ever really seen that movie. <laughs> Unless Despite you're the Hollywood Farm Press Association. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love you, Philip Morris, another one. Love. Uh, focus was a lot on Jim Carrey uh, for that movie. So, Impossible, his co-star, Naomi Watts, receives an Oscar nomination. Where's Ewan McGregor? You know, it's like the guy, though, has been, I think, consistently solid throughout his entire career here. And pretty much uh, films across the board are represented from his career. So, uh, Casey, I'll start off with you. Uh, which Ewan McGregor performance is your favorite? I mean, it, it's Moulin Rouge. I I have my problems with that movie, but any moment with him and Nicole Kidman is the best thing ever to me. And if you ever want to make me cry instantly, just play him walking up to the stage so you can come what made her and I'm weeping. <laughs> I cry every single time I watch that movie. His voice. Literally so every single time. I cry every time. And every time the gun uh, lands in the middle of the aisle, I instantly get goosebumps every single time. It's so freaking well done. Um, I love that movie. I adore that movie. It's my vote as well. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else going for Moulin Rouge? Yeah, I'll jump on board. Yeah. <laughs> it's not me. I don't really like no. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I love Moulin Rouge and I love <laughs> it. All right, all right. Josh, what do you got? Well, you know, looking over this list, I sort of realized that McGregor is an actor that I always really enjoy seeing, but I never really find myself saying like, oh, he's an amazing actor. I think he's really solid in a lot of stuff. But I don't ever find myself really thinking that he gives extraordinary performances. But I think the movie out of the this list here that I really respond to in terms of his performance, I think I'm actually going to say The Ghost Rider. He, yeah. It's yeah. a really underrated performance from him. And he's got to be you know, this very rather calm and collected center piece to that movie. But he does a really good job anchoring you through that story. And – I really think that is actually a performance that uses a lot of his um, kind of techniques and style to really great benefit. So I, I'm going to say The Ghost Rider. That's such a good movie. That is such a solid, yeah. well-made movie with a terrific supporting performance, too, by Olivia Williams. Mm -hmm. yeah. Josh, I misheard you, and I thought you said Ghost Rider. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was really, really lost there. Uh, yeah, that's a movie. <laughs> I I would probably uh, chime in with Train Spotting. Yeah, that's my yeah. Too. He he, it's it's the only time in his career, to my knowledge, that he's he's played a tough punk. Yeah, and I think he has that in him, but he's you know been cast in a lot of rather squishy roles, and um, I'd like to see that side of Ewan McGregor come back. Yeah, I, I think it's hard because like one of the things that he is best at as an actor is projecting vulnerability. And that is not something that is um, as treasured in male actors as it is in female actors. Um, yeah. And it's not rewarded. Uh, for me, his 
I love him in Train Spotting. I love him in Moulin Rouge. But for me, his best performance is Beginners. Mm, I yeah. that movie makes me cry buckets every goddamn time, and he <laughs> is so he captures both the um, vulnerability and despair, and also the whimsy of it. I think really, really well, and just it's probably the best written movie he's ever been in. Mike Mills is genius. Yeah. No, he's a filmmaker I cannot wait to see more from as well. And you're right. Uh, I think what he gives Ewan in that movie is really, really well done as well. Cody? So I'm slowly working my way through the all the Star Wars films leading up to Episode Nine, And I got to say, I really do think he's a solid part of the prequels, which is, you know, very, very faint praise. But I think he really <laughs> does a good job of he, – he does a good job of like – keeping it light in moments that are light, but still having like the appropriate operatic gravitas that a Star Wars movie calls for. And he's doing a pretty solid, but not uh, like a uh, copy and paste impression of Alec Guinness. It's like yeah. subtle, but if you know what he sounds like, you, you can see the man he'll grow up into. I think he's pretty solid in those movies. Mm-hmm. Bianca. Oh, uh, well, I just, uh, yeah, I just want to mention big fish quickly yeah i love i love that movie and i think he's so good in it and uh not enough people have seen that film and that really is the last great tim burton movie so it's true and and he's perfect in it you and mcgregor i just think he's such so, such so, so likable and he's a bit of a scamp in that film <laughs> so i i i need to go watch it again but it just get it just makes me cry every time and i would take him if he stood in like a field full of daffodils i mean oh god yes (laughs) (laughs) i really really like uh early career ewan mcgregor like a lot before he blew up like with star wars um so things like velvet goldmine or shallow grave shallow grave yeah yeah Mm. train spotting as we said before obviously is another one um how about Down With Love? Yeah, yeah I Down like him in that too. Absolutely. And, and now, like you said, like nowadays it's like he uh, – he's a likable actor. He, I always find that to be his thing is that he's very likable. He's charming, you know, uh, soft-spoken. He's got a, he's got a freaking great smile. <laughs> oh, God, Yes. <laughs> but you're, you, I think Josh, you, I think you said it before, and I think you're right in the sense that I don't feel like he's as daring as he was earlier on in his career uh, with his choices nowadays. Yeah, I think you get a lot of that in those earlier performances, and now it does feel a little bit more safe choices from him. He's still a solid screen presence, but I, I don't really find that a lot of his performances, especially today, are like extraordinary in any way. It's just like a solid guy that you see now well head on over to the poll page at nextbestpicture.com cast a vote let us know what your favorite ewan mcgregor performance is and last but not least here uh we asked everyone which was their favorite horror film of the decade decade countdown here at nextbestpicture.com oh man oh man we're gonna have another poll uh (laughs) recapping the decade uh pretty soon we don't know what it's gonna be yet we will announce that sometime this week uh the staff members and i will discuss uh, some possibilities and we'll put that up there uh we do have a top 10 um and man oh man what a list of movies here i mean horror i think horror this year had literally maybe maybe it's best decade since the 70s i think Mm -hmm. Mm. 
Definitely. Okay, here we go. Uh, top 10 horror films of the decade as voted on by the Next Best Picture uh, film community. Number 10 is Midsommar. Number 9 is It Follows. Number 8 is The Cabin in the Woods. Great choice. Number 7, we have a tie. Mm. The Conjuring. Yes. And It, Chapter 1. Interesting. Mm. Number six is A Quiet Place. Really? (laughs) Number five is Suspiria. Yes. Yes. Oh, Oh my God. Yes. Best picture of last year. I'm shocked it ranked that high. I really am (laughs) so happy. (laughs) Number four is Black Swan. Oh, it's horror, Dan. Don't pretend. <laughs> yeah, seriously. God, it is a psychological yes, it is. thriller. It's spooky-ooky. It's, it's also overrated. <laughs> Number three is The Witch. Yeah. Yes. Uh, really yeah. good. Good movie. Black Phillip. Club <laughs> <laughs> forever. Number two is Get Out. I'm... Great, Matt. Can I take a guess for number one? You already know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Is it the Jungle Book? I knew it. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that, young man. <sighs> Three fine. years old, and that joke never gets old. Nope. Still great. <laughs> Number one is Ari Aster's Hereditary. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It really will go down as one of the greatest, scariest. It really will. Yeah. Uh. Every every film on the list got a vote. Uh, even the last place uh, film, which I will not say what it was, it got one single vote. So, uh, but you know, great year, uh, great year, great decade, <laughs> great decade for horror. Uh, How close so, was it between Get Out and Hereditary? Uh, it was a difference of twenty one votes. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. significant. Got some splaining to do. Uh, no. Do they? I, I don't <laughs> no, think so. Don't it at all. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together, we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this minutia Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I wonder shut who up. the cat can God watch. damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Alrighty, so now, uh, fan questions uh, for this week to take us home. Uh, Josh Blumenkrantz asks us, who is winning Best Supporting Actress, Margot Robbie for Bombshell or Laura Dern in Marriage Story? Oh, God. <laughs> right now, I'm saying no that's No one knows anything right Photo now. <sighs> you know, I floated an idea to Josh Parham the other day, and, uh, you know, I, I said, what if there's a shocker and Jennifer Lopez really pulls it off? I was just going to say, she's going to Marissa Tomei her way up yeah, to the middle. I would love that. Yeah, but do you remember what I then also said to you, Matt, about that line of thinking? I I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that Hustlers needs to be a top 10 contender, really, to win an acting Oscar. And I don't really see it for that movie. Which has been a reoccurring trend over uh, the last couple of years. If you guys look at the yeah. uh, acting winners, uh, you really need 
some best best picture heat or yeah. or you need no competition like you have to be a steamroller like Julianne Moore and still Alice for example yeah. wait so then how do you explain people like Alice and Jenny and Regina King who had top the competition ten. top 10 yeah, they were top they ten. were they would have been nominated yeah, the movie would have been nominated in a 10 year oh, yeah. in, in a 10 okay right yeah. right exactly yeah. So if yeah. Bombshell and Marriage Story both get uh, like Best Picture I mean, nominations, Hustlers doesn't, and it doesn't have other nominations elsewhere to support that it was close to Best Picture, then I, I'm I'm with you, Josh, in terms of that thinking. And we I think, all think she's pretty solid for a nomination, though, right? At this point, I, I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why not? Yeah, yeah. Well, she was she Holly Hunter's herself. Hmm? All that, yeah. What I what I like about the question is that it's two different kind of supporting performances. Mm-hmm. It looks to me just. You know, some people have seen Bombshell. I haven't. But it looks like Margot Robbie is the catalyst in all of this. And is, you know, we're following her. Uh, I don't know. Is that the is that the case? Kind of not her? really. Okay. I, she's it's, the most emotional storyline. OK, she's it's, the storyline that will get the audience to cry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah OK. She's and also then, not a real character, though, right? She's like a composite. She's a of? composite, okay. which is something that they need to use to their advantage in the campaign trail. They need to treat this as a representation for women all over the world, and if they hammer that home, uh, there is a very good chance they can ride that to yeah. a nomination and a win. Really, Dern is a real supporting performance, but she's very well connected in the academy. They both have narratives that have worked in the past for sure, like in their yeah. own way. Margot's the uh, Anjou on the Rise, who has another film in the Best Picture lineup, probably. And Laura Dern has, uh, you know, been around forever, well connected, well liked, obviously. And she's having maybe the most relevant year of her career so far. Yeah. yeah. I'll be very interested to see how the major awards, you know, sag. Um, you know, who wins Critics' Choice, you know. I know Critics' Choice is not, a, like, on the same level as SAG, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it all shakes out, you know. Right, like, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, until this season proves me otherwise, I have this, my gut is telling me that Margot's performances in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bombshell are going to cancel each other out, and she's going to end up with nothing. Oof. Oof. I mean... I don't think that usually happens, to be honest. I mean, like we saw with like Alicia Vikander, it was the opposite, and it worked for great success for her. Yeah. You see, the, the yeah, but I would say that, that, was, that happened, one of those was really small. I mean, this is two potential top ten contenders. Yeah. I mean, Ex- uh, I don't know. I guess, I, I, to my mind, Ex Machina and Danish Girl were also both at least top 12. Like, they both won an Oscar. And I'm still of the line of thinking that, um, her performance for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is just like not going to happen at all. Because like to me, when I watch Bombshell, like definitively speaking, I feel like her performance in that is just so much more uh, Oscar friendly. I agree, but like people have responded and keep responding to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood very strongly, particularly her performance. Mm-hmm. And they would have nominated her if Bombshell weren't a thing. She would have gotten the nomination probably regardless, but now she has an obvious vehicle to get in. I, feel, I just feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feels like the kind of movie where people who love it are going to mark it down in every category. And that may hurt her chances of getting in for Bombshell. Okay. Uh, oh, man. Logan Van Winkle asks us, this is, oh my gosh, what is your biggest fear for the upcoming award season? Oh, God. Well, I thought that was just in general, and then I was going to say <laughs> elevators, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody's seen The Departed too many times. 
<laughs> My biggest fear for the upcoming award season is uh, the same fear that it always is, which is we're going to take great movies and we're going to uh, turn them on each other and we're going to turn mm. um, on ourselves and we're going to just eat each other alive and it's going to be for what? Literally for what? You want to do it with like politics and the presidential campaign? Okay, sure. There are big stakes in life tied to that. I understand. But with this, come on, guys, this is supposed to be fun. Right. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the film yeah. Twitter discourse is the thing that I always uh, am never looking forward to. Because you're right, Matt. You, <laughs> there are great movies that come out, and then we get into these camps of, like, you have to root only for this movie. And if you're not rooting for it, then you're against it, and you're against me. And I just really find that to be so exhausting. And it was really bad last year. It was particularly, yeah. it was really, yeah. really bad last year. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that maybe we could be a little bit better, I, but I don't know. I, I am never one to really give a lot of credit to film Twitter for a lot of <laughs> This kind of feeds into the next question here from EW.2480. There's lots of chatter online about Joker being nominated for Best Picture. Am I crazy for thinking that's not really feasible? It just doesn't seem like the kind of movie that will last the season for Best Picture. What are your thoughts? Well, it just hit $900 million this weekend. You know, it's mm. chugging along. It has a lot of fans. Jessica Chastain being one of them. She really <sighs> came out for the movie in a big way. She came out Nobody's for Joaquin. Perfect. She came out for Joaquin in a big way. I don't know about the movie. I think that Joker stands a really good chance yeah. at a nomination. It does. I don't think it's going to get screenplay. I don't think it's going to get director nomination. But I do think things like score, sound, cinematography, Joaquin, like Joaquin being the default probably. But everything else is all on the table, I think. And as much as I hate to admit it, I mean, for making the like Jojo Rabbit Green Book viewer comparison, this really does feel like it's kind of on a possible Bohemian Rhapsody Awards trajectory where yeah, for a right. long time the talk was only the performance and then we started to be like, well, the tax could probably got in. And then, okay, well, it's definitely getting in for Best Picture and then it became inevitable. Yeah, yeah but I, I would still say that there is a big difference between Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a biopic about a musician and a movie called Joker. And I think yeah. that... Is there though? Like people have the same emotional attachment. No, there, to there is this a, character. Like yeah, but one has a history of the Oscars as being a genre. Well, that's like, true. That movies. is true. Yeah, I still works, think and one is always shunned. When it comes to comic book movies at the Oscars, and as much as they want to try to make you not think this is a comic book movie, it is. You still need to take things on a case by case basis, and I'm not really ready to say that Joker is automatically a contender in all these categories. To be honest, I still think Joaquin is vulnerable. Do I think that there's a lot of things going for it? Yes, but it is still working within a genre that has struggled to get nominated with the Academy. And I think that that is still something that I'm taking into account going forward. Yeah, I agree with you, Josh. From Andrew Purr, what do you think will likely be the most surprising Best Picture nominee, and what do you think will be the most surprising snub huh. for Best Picture? The most surprising nominee will probably, I mean, just based on, I think a lot of people's pre-release expectations, I think Bombshell. Yeah, I, I think Bombshell, Joker, and you know what? Um, I, I don't, yeah, I, I'll actually disregard both of those and say the farewell. I'm not Ooh, predicting. That made me really happy. Yeah. 
I, I was going to say, I'm not predicting it at the moment, but one movie I really do think that can break into this field of eight, nine, or ten, however many we have, is Rocket Man. That would be that would be very surprising. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I would be very surprised. Yeah, they're pulling a good campaign. They're pulling a great they campaign for all it. the stops out. Yep, mm-hmm. got nothing else. And it probably <laughs> will get one or two below the line nominations. You know, by the time we get to um, the nomination morning, traditionally speaking, in terms of like a surprising snub in Best Picture, I think there is kind of like a consensus uh, between like a few films. Like we kind of were able to whittle it down to like what for uh, the nine slots or something like 12, maybe like there were two on the outside and we're like you're juggling some others or so. And it's really hard for me to say what would be considered a surprising snub like at this at this point. But one film that I do feel like has been losing a little bit of steam since its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival um, has actually been A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Because yeah. it hasn't opened yet. I understand. Um, I get it. I'm just saying I, the perception totally right now that. is... I'm saying yeah. when, when, once it opens and people see this and everyone is crying buckets in the movie theater, trust me, it's going right. to come back. I believe you. I, I do believe you. It just uh, it just doesn't feel like anybody's talking about it like now, and I think that's a fault on the f- on the fact that it hasn't been screening. Yeah. Like yeah. we're getting screenings for Bombshell, Little Women, and stuff. Uh, you know, for Academy members and stuff all throughout town. And it, it's interesting that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just got rescreened uh, a lot recently. And I'm just wondering, like, where's like where are the screenings for one, for a beautiful day in the neighborhood? It's three weeks until release. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I speaking of though, I think the surprising quote unquote snub will be Little Women. Oh, I don't think it's going to be surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could definitely see a world where that happens, and the re- yeah. the reactions were good. They were decent, but they weren't. Oh my god, this is the best picture of the year. Everyone's going to vote for it as number one. They were. Oh, that's a really nice movie. Yeah. Which and going back for like a slight second to our biggest fear for the season. Yeah, my biggest fear is that there is going to be no uh, female director nominee in a yep. year with oh, yeah. so many great Me ones. Too. Yep. Yeah. Um, similarly, Dan, I was going to say, as always, my biggest fear is that we're going to get another all-white acting lineup. Mm-hmm. Which, and oh, I would maybe advise my fellow pundits to do the same. Is why I personally am using the like teeny bit of influence I have now to still like <laughs> predict Zhao Shuzhen and sporting actress and Aquafina and actress and things like that. I have Aquafina and actress for yeah, sure. Yeah, too. absolutely. Well, I think you're also going to get Jamie Foxx in supporting actor. I, oh, I, yep, definitely. I have him in there. Yeah, definitely. No, no, I definitely have variety in the acting categories for, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, uh, listen, all dudes, sure. But Bong Joon-ho in director is, is nice, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I really want Mariel Heller to uh, make make some noise. I keep seeing the narrative on Twitter, and I keep I keep seeing the narrative on Twitter be like, oh, actress is kind of weak this year, which a is not true, and b like they're not looking at the right performances. That's when you go, okay, well then why not Cynthia Rivo? Why not Aquafina? Like this is why when not you can Lupita? use. Their... Yeah, sure, exactly, exactly. So uh, Luca Gilberti asks, in light of my hashtag Lupita for Oscar tweet, <laughs> do you think there's any chance she gets nominated anywhere during the awards scene? Maybe not necessarily the Oscars, but at least the Golden Globes or SAG. I think Critics' Choice could go for her, like they went for Hereditary last year. I could actually see SAG because that movie made a lot of money. And the the way that SAG ownership works out, I feel like it helps if your movie did very well. Like A Quiet Place last year, yeah. I wanted to say for the record, screeners uh, just went out for it, so they got it out early. One of the first. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it was actually even before that. I'm going to just move away from Lupita ever so slightly uh, just to prove once again that the best actress race is not necessarily weak, in my opinion. It's just they're not looking at the right performances. There was a screener that went out for Elizabeth Moss for her smell. Oh. Yeah. Oh. If anybody watched that movie, it's undeniable that it's one of the best performances yeah. of the year. They just need to watch Absolutely. it. 100%. Yeah. She's great. Uh, speaking of uh, the best actress race, uh, Daniel uh, Daniel B, uh, Film and Sports 21, asks, with Harriet's A-plus cinema score, is Cynthia Riva more alive in the best actress race than previously thought? She's always She's in been stable alive. condition. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. She's always been alive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she dipped in recent weeks, but I think that that A plus is a major boost. Mm-hmm. We'll, and we, we still have yet to see later. how that A plus translates to box office. But, well, that's what I was about yeah. to say. The box office reports <laughs> just came out as we were speaking here, and Harriet was projected to do eight million and ended up doing twelve this weekend. Wow! wow. that's great. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, Isaiah Washington, uh, piggybacking off of that, asks, "Do you think Harriet can win Best Original Song for Stand Up?" Uh, the category this year doesn't seem to be that strong this far. Category, as long as a category that you can't really say what's going to happen with it, if it's strong or not, until like actual awards start being presented, Agreed. if not yeah. the actual Oscar nominations. Um, I do have it in right now, though, for sure. I do, it, I do, it do is as well. Just a credit song, though, which is like, which gives me slight pause. Mm-hmm. I could see a world where um, they give that. It, like, like Lady Gaga last year, I, I could see it happening, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of uh, we're not going to give it to you here, but we'll give you something here. Yeah. You know, the tough thing is that uh, the Gaga song was integral. Yeah. Storyline. Yeah. That was like one of the songs of the year. It was, outside so, of the it, it was literally a Celine Dion. My heart will go on type moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, David Mitchell Baker asks, could Parasite, could the Parasite love be too niche? film Twitter critics for it to break out beyond best international film. This is the same Academy that snubbed films like Beale Street, First Man, First Reformed in favor of Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book just last year. We talked about this too, man. Yeah, we, we did talk about this, Josh. Absolutely. I still think it's okay. I still think it's yeah. going to make it. Yeah, well, in terms I, of I, nominations. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I went back to see it again uh, this week and just looking for production design, music, and editing and cinematography. God, and it's, it really deserves those, uh, particularly production design. And yeah. I've been noticing a number of articles being written by film writers about the production design of it. Yeah. So hopefully it can break into that. Yeah, the buzz is so universally strong at this point from like all corners of not even just like film Twitter, but like actual industry well, people that yeah. until it starts missing, I don't think we have to worry. Yeah, I think like although like you talk about a surprising best picture nominee to the average viewer, that's going to be a surprise. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they're going to see it. Yeah, and get it. <laughs> Scott Kernan, uh, moving over to best director, says, could you see this being the first competitive best director race in a long time in which the precursors actually go to different winners? For example, Globes go to Scorsese. DGA goes to Tarantino. Critics Choice goes to Bong Joon-ho. BAFTA goes for Sam Mendes. Thoughts. It has Ooh. been a while since we've had a not locked in best director race. Yeah. yeah. It'd be and, nice. it, and those examples are really good. They could yeah. happen. Yeah, they could happen. Um, I I feel like Sam Mendes might prove to be a steamroller though. I have if a feeling of that too. Is as technically yeah. perfect as but then again, he could end up going the way of George Miller for Mad Max, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Bong Joon Ho. Travis Clark asks 
If you could pick a documentary from the last decade to be nominated for Best Picture, what would it be? Oh well, my or favorite movie from last year. I, I, Josh, I, I have a feeling where you're going with this. Oh yeah, my favorite movie from last year was a documentary, Minding the Gap. So I'd say yeah. that one right there. I really love documentaries. They actually end up on somewhere like my top ten quite mm-hmm. frequently. So there are always movies that I seek out and I have a lot of affection for. Um, I was going to say Free Solo, another one from last year. That should, mm-hmm. uh, that's such a good documentary. Or um, would uh, would you be my neighbor? Are we are we talking so win good. or nomination? I forget. Uh, we are talking here nomination. Oh, okay. So <laughs> um, this year, uh, Matt, you and I have seen The Cave. Mm, yeah, which is pretty astounding movie. Um, and uh, I just for like. Just in terms of like how the amount of work it took to make that movie, I would want to see it nominated in Best Picture. Like it's ridiculous how they were able to shoot that and how the impact it has. It's really good. I would say Ava DuVernay's Thirteenth is probably my favorite documentary of the uh, decade, and I would like to have seen that get some more traction, uh, and even for a win. I love I love the OJ. Uh, documentary i really do but uh now with the rules that have been put in place ever since it's win, it's like could we have gotten ava duvernay an oscar probably and we somehow messed that up um righty last question last question ian balakalak asks us what are our thoughts on the academy opening up the nomination process to everyone for best international feature film wow game changer well, it's not, it's not, <laughs> that's not the full story. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's a little bit the, more nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. That anyone can vote as long as they have watched all the films on the short list, which they increased from nine to 10. But still the well, ability it, to open this up to the people who are willing to see these movies. And some of them may have already yeah. seen a majority of the movies on the list. It yeah. changes the dynamics of the movies that can get in. I not I don't I don't think significantly. I don't. Well, there there are, there are some films like Parasite and Pain and Glory that mm-hmm. people in other branches are going to see mm-hmm. possible nominations, um, but I, I'm not quite sure um, how anxious they're going to be to see some of the more obscure things that have been nominated before and gave them a great boost. And uh, I'm I'm kind of sad to see this. Yeah, I think it'll if. You- if you're an international film directed by a somewhat well-known director, I think that'll help you more like seeing somebody like Pedro Almodovar or whatever, than these like smaller films that might be debuts or just whatever. I think that that will be a factor. But again, these people aren't voting blind. They have to have seen all the 10 on the short list. Well, they have to say they've seen all. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's more so like, um, it's the branch that is going to whittle it down to that short list of 10, but then they just provide screeners for everybody and say, hey, it, whatever you want to do, now you can vote for it. And I, it's sort of not exactly what they do with the animated feature, but it's similar to that respect in which everybody is allowed to pick those nominees. I don't mind it personally because mm. I, I do appreciate that they what, – what? <laughs> I don't think they have to prove they've seen the nominees. I think – because the Academy is providing screeners for it, it's on an honor system as to whether or not you've seen all these movies. Yeah. 
See, I'm not really a big fan of this because I like it when the branches just pick the nominees. I think that's how you get these really esoteric picks out there that you wouldn't necessarily think would have any shot of a nomination. And I like that about it. And I, I really do feel like all of this is a precursor to eventually getting rid of the system entirely and having everybody vote for all the nominees in every category. I think in a couple of years, we're going to see this with documentary. I'm surprised they actually didn't do it this year, considering what happened with Won't You Be My Neighbor. And I really do think the Academy is moving towards that decision of just getting rid of it entirely, which I'm really, really dreading. Mm, Interesting. With that said, other than Parasite, um, Pain and Glory, and maybe we can say Les Miserables as well? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. And Atlantics. And Atlantics. Yeah. Uh, So whichever film do you guys think has a shot to get in then? Um, Brazil's nomination, Invisible Life, is fan fantastic and it's really emotionally affecting uh fernando montenegro comes in for the epilogue and just like steals your heart it's one of those Uh, once you see it it's you can't deny it yeah it's one of those like when you see it it's going to be in your head for a while that was i saw that on the first day at tiff and i still it's still in my head i i i I think beanpole stands a good shot yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a beautifully made movie um, I still have those who remained. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the movie, but it is, you know, it's a movie that deals with the Holocaust. And, and this one is about the aftermath of it. It's really about dealing with uh, after the dust has settled with it and dealing with the consequences of that. And, you know, it's a tried and true subject matter, but particularly with this category. So I think that's something to keep an eye out for. OK. The other weird one for me is Honeyland. Yes, because right, yeah. that has, yeah. it's gather it's gathering a lot of steam. <laughs> it's got a lot of buzz. It's got a lot of buzz. Cody. Like documentaries get nominated here when they make a big splash, and this one seems like it's primed to do that. And it's doing decently at the box office. Mm-hmm. I also really love it if And Then We Danced got in. That's yeah. a great movie, too. I want to see that so fast. It's really love it. good. It's really good. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, uh, for the input. Thank you, everyone, uh, for submitting the questions. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for giving us a fun show this week. Uh, there is a lot more to come. Um, I'm speaking with Will Mavity as we speak. He is actually going through the award season calendar for this year uh, with upcoming dates, ceremonies, critics' choice uh, groups. And, yeah, man, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Next thing you know, Thanksgiving, and boom, we're off to the races, people. It's going to be insane. With that said, Michael, Michael Schwartz, beloved Michael Schwartz, Jungle Book, horror movie lover you. Where can they find you on the internet? Well, thank you for that intro, Matt. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Bianca Gardner, how about yourself? Yep, you can find me over at uh, the, the Film B, and also check out In Their Own League as well. Tom O'Brien? You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Josh Parham. I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at CodyMonster91. And check out my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Halloweeners Pod. Not a seasonal pod, mind you. No, it's spooky (laughs) all year round at Halloweeners. Dan Bear, what about yourself? 
Find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 166 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, ACAST, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your feedback as well as your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including... A throwback review of Goodfellas, which we will be releasing this week in anticipation for our review of The Irishman. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.